Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of PLP Talks. In this episode, we're going to interview a bag maker whose bags I've lusted after for well over a decade. We're going to chat with Eli Rodriguez from Ruthworks. He's known for making just some really beautiful and intricate rendering style bags. We're going to talk about how he got started making bags, when he decided to take that leap, whether rendering is going to be the next big thing, and also some of the cool bikes and builders that he saw recently at NABS. If you're a bike nerd, you're going to love this episode. And if you enjoy these podcasts, consider supporting them. Check out the links in the show notes. There are links to PayPal and Patreon uh, to keep all this original bikey content going. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. And today, our special guest is uh, Eli Rodriguez from the brand Ruthworks. So Ruthworks, uh, based in the Bay Area, known for making some just really high quality and beautiful custom uh, rando bags. We're going to hear a little bit about his backstory, uh, hopefully a report from NABS, and kind of what he sees going on in the bike industry. So Eli, thanks for being on our podcast. Yeah, man. You're welcome, Russ. Good to uh, talk with you and finally do this. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. We've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for for people that aren't familiar with uh, what you do, can you give like a super quick origin story? Uh, yeah. Super quick origin story. Um, I ride bikes. Uh, needed a bag. I uh, needed to carry stuff. My wife and I were on a tour, and um, uh, we borrowed bikes from my friend from my friend in Boston, uh, Dave uh, Wilcox, and um, there's really not much to it. Uh, we just needed to carry stuff, and I needed some bags, so I made some. And they turned out great. They were waterproof. Uh, they held all of our stuff, and we were out for five days in New England uh, doing the tour. Um, everything worked out great, and from there, people saw those bags and wanted some. And so I made them, and uh, here we are 10 years later, still making stuff for people. So those, uh, those first bags you made, were they in kind of the, the rando style already, or what would they look like compared to what, what you ended up doing in production? Um, hauntingly similar. The hmm. rear bag was almost exactly like the current uh, wedges that I do today. Um, yeah. Very similar. Um, of course, the sizes and the um, details and everything have been tweaked. And that's it. And the, the front bag was just like a, tu- a very typical tubular um, front bag with a zipper just real real simple um i didn't know anything about random or- i didn't know random oring existed at, at that point in time um that came um i think that came like a year later or a year and a half later so it seems like you guys have a pretty good like rando scene in the in the bay area yeah you know it's um i guess because of our weather um we, we have a lot of rando groups um here in san francisco of course we have the san francisco randonors and then we have the uh, the club out in Davis. Uh, we also just up like an hour and a half north is uh, the Santa Rosa Club, and then the Santa Cruz Club is um, just down south a little bit. Um, we have a very good relationship with each other. Oh, there's also you know shout out to uh, the guys up in Eureka. Um, there's a new rando club up in Eureka also. Um, so shout, yeah, shout out to those guys. There's a lot of groups and they coordinate their annual schedules with each other this year we're doing a a rando week where um, four different rando clubs are coordinating a week of brevets that go from club to club 
so that's very exciting. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, it's a lot of work, and I'm glad that all of the RBAs, uh, the regional brevet administrators for each club, um, I'm glad that they're able to work together and work that out. And just, you know, and just really the, the goal is to create fun, uh, fun rides to pe- for people to try, you know, and challenge themselves. So your, yeah. bag, your bags have like this really uh, like classic look. Uh, when did you like decide to settle on that style? You know, um, that's a great question. And um, I remember speaking with uh, another bag designer um, several years ago about that. And um, basically, uh, in regards to style, well, first of all, I, I didn't plan on making a bag company. <laughs> so, you know, I was like I said, I was just making bags for friends. Um, and I'm still I'm still doing that today. So um, in regards to like style and aesthetics, um, my approach was very different from a, a typical company. Um, I just did whatever I wanted to do. And then I've I just accepted the fact that after a few years, my style would um, define itself. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Right. So I so I would just trust my eye and my aesthetics, not really knowing exactly what I want, but I would just do what I thought looked cool. Um and like I said, you know, ten years later, I I'm still I'm still doing that. I, I just I do what I I do what I think is um attractive and, and balanced and um you know, and then the, the whatever the result is of that, that is my signature. You know, so I, I wasn't tr- I wasn't trying to uh, like redefine you know uh, a Japanese randonneur style or redefine a, a French randonneur style. I was I looked at that stuff and I, I like it. You know, uh, really love the Japanese style, but um, yeah, I look at that stuff and uh, I take you know so I'm 100 percent sure I subconsciously subconsciously take cues from that. Um, I don't try, I don't try to imitate it. Um, I'm just, I'm influenced by it. So I think that's how my style kind of developed. I think that's how anybody's style, um, develops, you know, in an, in artistic, uh, uh, through artistic expression and, um, just repetitive artistic expression over and over again over the years, you know. Now you, you started making the bags for friends. Uh, what point yeah. did you go, you know, this might, this might become a business by accident. <laughs> Um, it was it was very distinct. I remember exactly where it happened. I was at work, so I'm a you know I was a school teacher for uh, the last job I had. I was a school teacher for uh, 13 years, and um, I remember I was at work and I, I was actually talking to Eric um, of Winter Bicycles, and uh, you know I was like, yo man, you know like really I, I'm just like a part time dude. I'm just a hobbyist. I'm not really in this. You know I'm not really in the game. You know I got respect for everybody who's in the game, <laughs> and uh, and Eric was just like. In, you're in the game, man. Like you're you're in it for real. Like you know you're already there. So whether you know whether or not you uh, accept it, you know that's up to you. But you're you're already in the game at this point. And you know it's kind of true. But um, I had a full time job, and um, I, you know I was relatively happy there. But um, yeah, it was at that point when when I was having that that conversation with Eric, and uh, and it kind of hit home, you know, because I have a lot of respect for Eric, and he's. Uh, you know, he's, he's, in, in my opinion, he's, he's pretty high up on the ladder and I got a lot of respect for him. So when he said that, I was like, well, I guess I should kind of get my act together and, you know, really start thinking about this. Um, a few years later, I, um, had the opportunity to transition from working in a school, uh, to doing something else. And then I talked to 
my wife and my son about it. I said, hey, you know, uh, what do you think about me not working in a school and trying the bag thing for two years? And uh, they said, well, you know, there's really no way to know if you are going to be successful with it unless you do it full time. So they said, why don't you try for three years? And I said, okay, I'll try for three years. You know what I mean? So the decision was made. The realization was when I was talking with Eric, but the, uh, the actual physical transition into uh, doing it full-time happened when I had the opportunity to no longer work for a, a education field and then go into the, um, the bag making thing. And then uh, of course, you know, speaking with my family about it, um, that was huge that, you know, if they said no, then I, I would still be a teacher. Right. <laughs> How long ago yeah. was that? Uh, this is my, uh, so this is like the 10th year I'm going in my 10th year. And then this is the, uh, fourth year doing it full-time. What were the emotions yeah. like the first couple of years? Was there a lot of like, you know, did I make the right choice or did it feel good from right off the get go? Oh, with the bags? Yeah. Uh, 100%. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. 100% uh, confident that it was the right thing to do. The orders were already there. You know, the, um, I was already, I already had a pretty good customer base and like my, my customers are awesome, man. Like people who use my bags are awesome. Um, they, they're great. They give me a lot of feedback. It's always been that way. I don't even think I announced that I, I went full-time. I just, I just kind of did it. And then people were like, yo man, are you still working at the school? Are you like, oh, it's full-time, you know? So it, it was like, a, it was a pretty natural transition. I, I think that also like those early years when I was doing it part-time, I don't think a lot of people knew that. I, I mean, I'm confident that no one knew that I was a full-time, you know, working out of school when I was doing the bag thing part-time because I was pumping out a shit ton of stuff. Um, but to answer your question, it, it, it felt good. It, it was definitely, it was definitely like the right choice. I, I've been, I've been doing what I was doing. It was, it was kind of a very natural transition. And it wasn't weird. I, I, I think that maybe like people freak out and they're really scared, but um, I didn't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> like the, I mean, we're good. Right. We're not, I mean, we're still eating, you know, we're still eating, we're still paying our rent. So it's like, I'm, uh -oh. um, we knew that there would be a transition in regard, uh, like a financial transition for the first couple of years, but there, there really wasn't, it was actually okay. And then the second year doing it full time, you know, coming up with some strategies to, to stabilize that. And then the third year, uh, coming up with, you know, I mean, you know, you know, the third year coming up with even more strategies to stabilize the business and, um, on the financial side and, and, all the other stuff too, you know, the, the, uh, what I want to do and like how I make things. Cause I make everything. So, um, you know, trying to streamline all that stuff. Um, how do people generally find you? Word of mouth. I, uh, um, I advertised for the first time yesterday. I got a text message um, from, uh, from John Fitzgerald. He's like, yo man, I just saw that thing. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, uh, shout out to, uh, Ryan Jones. He, he did the photography on that. Um, uh, Eric Eslin did the bikes. Um, I did the bags, uh, Irving Pam did the layout and then, um, and then the Rusa guys, you know, the Rusa guys put it in their magazine. So, uh, they're very supportive. So, um, I was kind of stoked, stoked that they're stoked. Um, but it was a, it was a, it was a really good looking ad. It looks really cool. It's in the, the Rusa magazine that just came out. So it seems like you, you, you know, you have a big following in the, in the Randy Neuer market. Do you have a sense of like the, the popularity of Randy Neuring? It always seems like it's, kind of on the down low relative to the other niches in cycling. Yeah. So I think there's, 
two things going on, right? There's um, the word, you know, uh, the first part of your question is, is Rand annoying becoming um, more mainstream kind of, you know? Um, I think Rand annoying means different things to different people. Um, I think to Rand, I think that to Rand annoyers, it means Rand annoying is Rand annoying. Um, I think to people who don't understand what Rand annoying is, Rand annoying means something else. Um, and that was real fucking obvious at NAVS. So I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, you know, to answer your question, is Rand annoying becoming popular? Well, it's becoming a more common term, commonly used term. Um, but it doesn't necessarily reflect uh, what Rand annoying actually is. Um, not, I'm, and I'm not trying to be like a, a you know, rando Nazi or anything. I, I actually don't care. But, um, but, but just to be clear, you know, Rand annoying in and of itself, um, is it growing? Yeah, but like everything is growing, you know, at a certain percentage. Um, that being said, Rand annoying is pretty freaking small in the mm -hmm. world of cycling. Um, so it's growing, but it's growing incrementally, you know, relative to other growth. Not to be, and, and also like Rand annoying does not have the um, appeal that like gravel, you know, gravel riding blew up quick, you know, so the whole gravel thing grew up, blew up quick. And, you know, it'll, it might transition into something else. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but the Rand annoying thing, it's, it's been around for a while and people who do it, they do it. It's very difficult to explain to other people. Uh, <laughs> people usually think that it's really weird and, um, you know, horrible. <laughs> and, and it, and it kind of is, you know, to, to be honest, it's like, oh, it's raining and freezing cold. Let's go out for a ride, you know? Oh, and it's nighttime. Let's go out for a ride and not sleep. You know, like that's right. stupid. Uh, normal people don't do that. So uh, I, I think that the random annoying in its as it is is uh, it's growing incrementally. Yeah, but um, the random annoying term that's definitely gr I think that's growing faster than random annoying itself. Um, that being said, um, you know the SFR has growth. Um, very, it, it's grown. It's very healthy. Um, so it's grown and attendance has grown, but it's also a PVP year. You know, we got PVP uh, later this year. So whatever PVP years, it, it always goes up um, and then it goes down, whatever. I guess give, give me what's the purest uh, definition of randomering? Uh, a person that gets on their bike and rides a really long way and does it in a certain way where there are time restraints and specific rules. Um, they they do not, not, and they don't need to be wearing wool. They don't need to be wearing a, riding a steel bike with racks on it. You know, they don't even need uh, dynamo lights. You know, they they ride. You can ride whatever. It it actually does not matter what mm -hmm. type of bike you're on. Um, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Um, it, it it doesn't matter what clothes. It doesn't matter what shoes you. I got killed by people wearing freaking not flip flops, but like he was wearing like sandals and. And he killed me on a 300. I was like, I was, tr I was trying to drop him and I couldn't, you know, I got, I get killed every single time by Carlos who always rides a mountain bike. He, he kills it. Um, but he rides a mountain bike and sometimes he rides like a 20 inch wheeled mountain bike, which is like, it, make, it makes no sense. But ask anybody, ask anybody like Carlos, he'll, he'll kill everybody. Um, you know, so it really doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I remember a couple, you know, a couple of years, maybe like four or five years ago, just for kicks, you know, we we're being really stupid. And I was like, um, I was the, um, 
popular coordinator, right? So I was in charge of the 100Ks. And I was like, hey, man, let's do something fun. Everybody ride the bike that they don't want to ride. So I rode a fixed gear. And that was my first fixed purvey. And uh, I loved it. So I, I did a fixed gear. My friend rode the, like this 1940s three-speed. The fender broke off. And we had to like tie it back together. It was really funny. It was horrible. Um, my friend Carlos, who always rides mountain bikes, he borrowed his wife's road bike. And he was just like, never again. <laughs> this is yeah he did not like the road bike yeah so and, and it was fun there were, there were a bunch of uh people that came out on tandem um but you no know, but but it's just it was just doing something fun so it sounds like there's like rendering as in you know kind of the, the the strict guidelines and and parameters for for the ride so the the set distances and and time limits and the check-in points and then there's it sounds like what's emerging is there's like rando or randoneering as like a style or aesthetic that that may or may not be accurate um yeah it, and it doesn't need to be accurate um but you know it's it's a rando uh fashion or a rando culture and um i i like that it's cool i i don't i don't think it needs to try and conform to what randoneering is um because I mean, I don't speak for like the random annoying world, but I'm pretty sure nobody really gives a shit. Like everyone cares more about um, being healthy, eating well. Uh, what's the next ride? What are we going to do this year? You know, um, spending time on the bike, spending time with their friends. That, they care more about that than um, people who, you know, are wearing, you know, like fake, you know what I mean? Like fake cyclists wearing wool jerseys trying right. to be random. <laughs> nobody nobody cares like it's it's cool you know if anything it's awesome because now everybody looks really good you know so (laughs) and everyone's buying steel bikes love steel bikes so so let's talk about uh nabs uh you went there and it's it sounds like you were doing some some interviews interviews while you were out there yeah i sure did um it was for the uh handbuilt bicycle guide okay uh paul skillbeck did it for him, and I interviewed a bunch of um, top tier frame builders in the world. It was it was kind of um, kind of a little nerve wracking, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I, I didn't want to disrespect them with my stupidity, but the interviews had to be done. And I I apologized to them in the beginning. I'm like, yo, man, I respect you, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I I really enjoy talking to them um, as frame builders, and then I also like to talk to them as people. Uh, and what their lives are like and all that stuff. Um, and then the other thing is, um, I also like talking to them in regards to um, structure structure for their company and like business strategies and kind of what they want to achieve and, and uh, you know what I mean? In, in like the next couple of years and stuff like that. Um, I think that's very interesting. And then how it all balances out. I think that's very interesting because I'm in the same boat. Right. Yeah. So are, are, are the interviews online already? Oh, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gotta, gotta check it. Yeah. I know that Paul has a YouTube channel. Handle okay. Bicycle Guide has a YouTube channel um, and then a Facebook page. But um, gotcha. other than that, I don't know what his editing is. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what his editing is and what his timeline is. Uh, what caught your eye? Was there anything interesting or new or a bike that, that you were really stoked about? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of new stuff. Um, I really like the I liked a lot of the stuff coming from the new frame builders um table i thought there was a little a lot of uh creativity and um there are a lot of ideas that there that were being executed uh some of them really well 
as a bag maker, um, I'm always interested in the, the interplay between the bike and the, and the carry system. Um, of course, there's Renanor bikes with, uh, you know, Renanor racks and, and bags and stuff. There's always that. But uh, it's very – and then there's the bike packing thing where they do things a certain way. Uh, what, what really caught my eye was uh, Rob English had two bikes. Actually, he, he came over <clears throat> he came over to do an interview, and he, he bought this one bike, and we were talking about it, and I was like, damn. Um, and I actually never met Rob. Uh, that was my first time met, meeting him. Very nice guy. Um, very, very funny. Uh, very funny dude. Um, so we were talking about that one bike, and he said, yeah, you know, um, after the thing, come on over. And um, I got this other bag, uh, this other bike I want to show you, too. So um, so I came over, you know, later that day or the next day or something, I came over and looked at the other bike, which is his, uh, that bike, that fat tire bikepacking rig thing that he has, that adventure bike, off-road thing. So we had that thing, and um, that was that was very impressive. I was actually very impressed with the uh, his Trans Am bike. Uh, just the level of integration between the bike and the bags uh, is very purpose built. It's definitely built for him and the way he rides, and what his strategy is when he rides. Um, the adventure rig, um, again, you know, it's his personal bike, so it's set up the way he rides, um, and the level of integration between the bike. Um, and the carry system was, uh, was, was, what did he do different? Like, uh, was it, was there some kind of ha- hard mounting, uh, that was unique on the bike for the bags or, uh, kind of minimalist racks? Again, this is his personal bike. Uh, and the whole setup was for the way he rides. Right. So, um, saying that, you know, that what that means is, um, it may not work for nine out of 10 people but it will work for that 10th person. Um, the kind of, the level of integration was, was, was kind of insane. Um, the bike was clearly built with the bag structures in mind, uh, from the, from the placement of the, uh, the placement of the chain stay, you know, on the, on the Trans Am bike, the placement of the chain stays, uh, was low, low and tight, not just for aerodynamics, but that also allowed, a, uh, uh, an additional water bottle to be back there. It's it, that allowed that freed up space on the inside triangle so that you can stick a big fat bag in there the bag had different compartments and it you know it's it's you know other other frame bags have compartments too um but his bag had compartments and they were sized specifically for kind of like what what he likes to do and how he likes to eat and um you know what he wants to put in there um the the front bag was um uh, made it specifically to his aero bars and like you know it opens a certain way and there's a cue sheet in there because that's the way he likes to read so um that that was all kind of integrated in there um the you know the the c tube length was uh in the the c tube length relative to the the actual seat post and the seat you know the saddle height and all that stuff i mean that was all very specific um to allow a um uh, the the size bag that he wants to use in the rear, you know, and that's and which of course he made a, a custom support for and and all that stuff, similar to other support, you know, it's it's been done, like I said, it's been done before, um, you know, Moots uh, Moots does a tailgater and there's a couple other products that are very similar, but um, Rob did it real clean, uh, executed really well, and it was very purpose built, and um, it's definitely. Um, integrated you know in a, in a in a way that only a frame builder who rides his bike for thousands of miles at a very high speed um, only somebody who does that w- would even attempt to make a bike like this you know what i mean like if you're a if you're a recreational rider if you're a frame builder who's a recreational rider 
you may not see the importance of clearing up space on the inside of your triangle, you know, but if you're the type of person that doesn't like to get off your bike for, you know, right. for, for the first two, for, for the first 200 miles, you know, if you don't want to get off your bike for the first 200 miles, you're then, and you're a frame builder, you, then you appreciate the, the amount of space that is um, available to you on the inside of your triangle and you try to maximize things a certain way. You know, and depending on how you eat, if you if you eat solid food, if you eat um, you know liquids, and uh, that's also going to affect things. And um, you can tell just by looking at the bike, it's like okay, this dude rides fast. You know, right. like <laughs> for sure, <laughs> he puts a, a mile, he puts a miles in because there's a, there's so many design elements um, on his bike. Pardon me, on his on that adventure rig, you know, the one with the big fat tires. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on um, up front. He's got a truss fork, but he also has like a uh, support system for a front roll bag. Uh, and it's all integrated. You know, the truss fork, it's not just a truss fork, but the truss fork is shaped a certain way to allow the roll bag to, to slip in there perfectly. You know, it's, uh, it, it, there's, there's lots of ways to do a truss fork, but he did it in a certain way that's very elegant. And it's, but it also, uh, uh, but allows that, that amount of space. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, pictures of the the travel mountain bike. It looks pretty rad. The one with yeah. the press fork. <laughs> and um, you know, like it's it's really hard to see in the pictures and like, um, but in person, if you look at it, the, like, to me, you know, the most in, one of the most interesting parts of that bike was the rear triangle. The rear triangle is like asim in three different axes. So it's like it's none of the all of the uh, the C stays and the chain stays are all different from each other, but they all terminate in the same place, and that's to uh, that's because of the big fat wheel and the clearance and all this other stuff. But if you look at it from the back or kind of like from the back and slightly up, then you can see the asymmetry of, of the rear triangle. And that's um, guarantee that is a complete nightmare to try to fabricate You because know, you're <laughs> working with four pipes of four different lengths. Um, they're all starting in, a, you know, kind of like the same area, but then they all have to definitely for sure terminate at the hub in a very specific plane so that the you know the, so that the rear wheel is, is dragging with the front so there's a lot of stuff going on it was, it was kind of insane um yeah, yeah I, I, I wonder how much I, like welding and like and then adjusting he had to do to to get uh the hub in the right place um i'm sure there's a pile of of pipes that he didn't use like there's in the, in the garbage can but um you know i don't know maybe he got it on the first try i, I have no idea but um it seems like a, a serious you know a major pain in the ass to try to Try to do that. It's yeah. I, I mean, just trying to you know doing straight chain stays or or stays is hard. And then like putting a little curve in it, that's like really hard. You know, it's like oh, how do I calculate that? Right. But uh, but to do four you know asymmetrical uh, stays that are going in all kinds of directions to accommodate for this and that, like that's yeah. You know, you got you got to be psychotic. You know, right. not psychotic, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You got to right. be driven. In terms of like your products, do you have like a bestseller? Is there any particular, t you know, kind of bag that you make that that clearly outperforms the other one? Um, it kind of goes in two directions. So I make a lot of rando bags. So I have a lot of rando bags out there, which means I get a lot of feedback, which means I tweak the rando bags a lot. So I spend a lot of time on the rando bags, and then I ended up and I end up kind of tweaking, the, you know, making minor tweaks to the rando bags. Same thing with the brevet bags. I make a lot of brevet bags. They go out. Um, a lot of people write them. A lot of people give me feedback on them. And there's little tweaks that go on um, 
along the way, you know, um, even, you know, even last night I was uh, talking with a frame builder about a certain project and I was like, eh, you know, I think it'd be cool if I added an inch to this, you know, so that's, that's on my to-do list today is to uh, alter one of my patterns of, alter one of my designs on, on one of my bags. And I, I think it'd be better. And like, it, it actually makes no freaking difference to me if there's an inch, but for what people want to do with that Portoy bag, I think it'd be helpful to them if, if there was an inch you know, in, in a certain direction. So, um, so yeah, that's on my list today. Um, again, you know, I, I don't, I don't care. It makes no difference to me if it's 12 inches or 13 inches. I just recently bought one of your, uh, brevet bags. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> that's, it's, that's uh, my favorite bag. Yeah. It's, you know, like I have, I have many bikes and then you know, I'm testing a lot of bikes. So I need a, a bag with capacity that doesn't require a rack. And there's actually surprisingly, I feel like very few, um that that work well so it's it's been cool to to uh pick up yours and, and put it through its paces yeah you know and and even with that bag um it it went through a lot of uh, iterations and tweaks you know at one point my son was like hey it'd be cool if you could put a u-lock in here and i'm like really like who wants to put a u-lock in you know i'll try it so the, the 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 size of it changed yeah so that rackless front bag you have a couple different flavors of it it seems like there's the brevet, then no. yeah. there's like the the mica, which is like wider and deeper or shorter. Yeah, shorter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, wider, deeper, shorter. Yeah, it's a funky trapezoid. Um, there's a third version also called the Grand Maison. So, and and really all of those iterations came from rider feedback. Uh, for example, the brevet bag, the one that you have, um, the final uh, shape of it um, hasn't changed in a while. Um, and because I was so happy with it, what happened was I was at a Rivendell, uh, thing and, uh, I pulled up on my bike. I had my brevet bag, uh, and then my friend, uh, Nancy, uh, saw her. She's like, oh, that's cool. And then she opened the bag and stuck her camera in. And I was like, oh, it fits a, it fits a camera. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, it, it kind of fits a camera perfectly if you had just a little more wiggle room for your finger. And I was like, oh, that's. That's actually a really good idea. So I tweaked it a little bit, and that's the final iteration right now uh, that the brevet bag is in, the one that you have. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually so one, that, that's, that's one thing that attracted me to it. It's like, oh, this will fit my, my Micro yeah. Four Thirds camera really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I put my DSLR in there, too, you know, so, um, you know, when I go riding. Uh, when I go riding and I'm taking pictures, I'll take a DSLR, but I don't, I don't bring a camera usually when I'm out like riding, riding. The, the Mica that was just released a few days ago, um, that, it's actually been around for uh, a couple of years and it was, um, it was made specifically for um, my buddy Dave Wilcox. And um, he, his head tube length is very short and his stem is very low. So the traditional brevet bag, we tried. I tried a couple different versions of the brevet bag. The one that we settled on is the mica, what what is now known as the mica. Um, so that shape and that profile fits his uh, seven evergreen. When is when seven released the evergreen, and he was you know uh, doing that thing, and um, the brevet bag was made for that bike. So. A lot of people saw the bag and say, hey, you know, like over the years, they're like, hey, you know, can normal people get it? Like, do you have to be Dave Wilcox? And I was just like, well, yeah, you know, let me, let me think about it. Uh, so that went on for a while. And, um, you know, and then Dave called me like, <laughs> like last week, he was like, yo, man, can you, can you do, do this? And I'm like, oh, man, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to put it in production, you know, because I, I like the bag. Uh, but, you know, 
So I said, well, you know, let's go ahead and do it. So, uh, so that's what the mica is. Um, the the placement on the handlebars is the same as the brevet bag. It's a little bit wider. It's a little bit deeper. Uh, definitely shorter, um, and it's shorter so that um, it doesn't hit the front tire. Right. Um, especially if you're running. Um, uh, some people like to run a, a headlamp, either a dynamo or whatever, and it's mounted to the fork crown. So if you do that, and I do that on my road bike. Um, then the mica might be a good choice because the distance from your handlebar to the top of your headlamp is a little bit shorter. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it, it kind of opens up uh, some possibilities. And um, it was at NABS. Uh, it was at NABS last week uh, just by accident. It's because uh, I was I was meeting Dave there and I was giving him the bag. So I was like, hey, can you, you know, I put it on the smelter. Uh, smelter bikes had a bunch of my bags there. And um, I was like, hey, can you put this on your table? Somebody's going to come by and, and pick it up. and you know, so it was there and then people saw it and they were like, Oh, can I buy this? And I'm like, Oh man, now I got to set up my webpage. <laughs> so then I set up the webpage and then my computer crashed Saturday night, which is why I was late to NAVS on Sunday. And uh, I was supposed to interview like a bunch of people and I'm like, sorry, I got to do my website, man. It sucks. Right. <laughs> uh, my website crashed on Saturday night. I was up till three o'clock. Uh, so anyways, but yeah, so I did my website and, um, and launched that thing and, um, pretty good response. Like there's, you know, I, I sent out a bunch of them yesterday. They're all eight. If you're, if you're listening, you're going to get your bags tomorrow or today. So, you know, <laughs> um, relax. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so that's the mica. And then the third version, which is not very well known, is called the Grand Maison. Um, that, that, that version of the Brevet bag was made specifically for uh sf Renanor greg Merritt. so all of you people say nice things about greg Merritt when you see him and when you don't see him say nice things um but yeah no greg uh greg loves a brevet bag but but we're talking you know he, he did bpb he's he's going to do pvp again again uh, in august and um he said, yeah, you know, this is good, but like for longer rides for 1200K, you know, 1000K, 1200K, even a 600, you know, de depending on the weather, but even on a 600, like kind of need a little, just a little bit more stuff and, and whatever. So, uh, so it developed a Grand Maison version of the Brevet bag, um, specifically to fit those needs of going 600, um, 600, 1000 or 12. Again, it is not necessarily for bike camping it's not designed to hold a sleeping bag even though i've used it for for uh credit card tours and, and um you know going, when i when i rode down to mexico a couple of years with my friend omar i used the grand maison it was perfectly fine but um it's not really designed for that it's really for road um long distance road riding where you need to carry a lot of stuff uh, especially in bad weather you know long distance in bad weather you got to carry more stuff um, and, the, and the GM, I don't know if anybody knows this, but the GM actually, uh, the Grand Maison is, is what I call it, but I named it after Greg, Greg Merritt. So GM, I couldn't call it the Greg Merritt version because that's weird. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I, call it, I call it the Grand Maison. I thought, I thought it was cool because it means big house. So um, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, man. So, you know, I, again, uh, I put out a lot of bags. I got a lot of feedback, get a lot of tweaks, and then... Um, you get a bag named after you. <laughs> nice. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people have, have good ideas, man. A lot of people have uh, bad ideas. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think it's interesting. Everybody has the same um, genuine, honest intention to um, have fun and just enjoy their lives, you know, mm -hmm. and, and enjoy their time on the bike. 
Um, sure. So everybody's coming from a good place. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to do my little bit. Uh, I'm thankful that I can do something to contribute to that. You know, right? Having fun. Having yeah. fun with your friends, man. That's what it's. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, on that note, I think I'll we'll wrap it up here. Um, if you guys want to check out more of Eli's uh, awesome bags, uh, go to what's the website? Ruth Ruthworks SF uh, Ruth uh, dot yeah, com. Ruthworks SF dot com. And yep, that's it. Yeah, and you're on uh, Instagram, so you can uh, be yep. up to date. And uh, yep. I, I did buy a, a, a brevet bag recently, so once the weather clears, I'm going to take that on a couple trips and make a video on that. And I'll send my own personal yep. feedback to, to Eli. <laughs> yeah, man. And, um, you know, whenever somebody does a, a review, and um, I actually, I'm actually not sure who's done a review. I kind of don't pay attention. But, um, but, you know, what I say every time is, um, you know, try it. And if you have suggestions or ideas, let me know. You know, it's like, hey, you know, this could be a little bit, you know, I think that this attachment point could be a little bit, um, you know, to the left or to the right, or it's too loose or uh, too tight. Uh, very open to suggestions, very open to suggestions. I make everything. So really, if I move something to the left or right, it's, trust me, it's me on a sewing machine moving it yeah it's very very simple to, for me to make adjustments yeah cool well uh yeah, man. thanks again for being on the show okay thanks for us i'll see you so thanks again for spending some time with us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate it and review it in iTunes or however you discover the podcast. And if you want to support this bikey content, check out those links in the show notes. And until next time, keep the supple side down. <laughs>